Welcome to the family with Ralph Dewey Basham, the Hackmaster. And Andy Brand Bernard. Our very special guest, Jeffrey Sussman, coming up in just a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen. The book, Boxing in the Mob, the Notorious History of the Sweet Science. This is right in our wheelhouse, oh, man. Nice. I love this. It's going to be great. Be right back with Jeffrey Sussman and the family. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. Adjusters flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. That works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Ralph Basham's here. Andy's here. Catherine's not here because she's cleaning out about 85 closets at the house. You know, that's how, that's how that whole deal goes. Our very special guest, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Boxing in the Mob, The Notorious History of the Sweet Science. Jeffrey Sussman, how are you, Jeffrey? I'm fine, and thank you for inviting me on. Oh, it's our great pleasure. Where, where, where did you grow up, Jeffrey? I grew up in a, uh, a suburb of New York City. Oh, you did? Okay. The reason I ask you that, Jeffrey, is because as a boy who was born and raised in, in Minnesota, now I, I did live in New York for several years and travel all over the place doing this, that, and the other thing. But uh, as a person who was born and raised in Minnesota, I have a deep-seated belief that all sports are fixed because we suck. You think that's a good excuse? <laughs> <laughs> there have never been great boxers from Minnesota. There have never been any great – well, Scott Ledoux was pretty good. Yeah. But um, – Jeffrey, seriously, I, 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 they're, the Minnesota Vikings now, 61 years, have never won a Super Bowl. I have to believe it's fixed, Jeffrey. That's all I'm telling you. I can't bear it. <laughs> it, it, it could be, but I'm no authority on it. <laughs> okay, well, I just wanted to be. Look, I'm also, I'm a very lucky guy because many, many years ago, 
I was asked to come in. There was a, there was a song called uh, King of the World that was released by Ricky Peterson, a great musician. And he asked me to do the voice of Muhammad Ali on it. And uh-huh. I did. And it, uh, it, it was released, uh, God, 25, 30 years ago, a long, long time ago, maybe 35 years even. And apparently Muhammad heard it, and he sent me a boxing glove that was autographed by him. It was one of the great moments of my life. I loved Muhammad Ali, man. I just, Jeffrey, there was no bigger fan than Muhammad Ali than me. He, 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 he was absolutely charismatic, one of the great boxers of the 20th century. He was indeed. And I, my favorite Muhammad Ali story, so I'll just do a little, a little Ali at the end. <laughs> he was on the Dick Cavett Show after Ken Norton broke his <laughs> jaw. <clears throat> Right. And Dick Cavett said to Muhammad Ali, you know, I have to believe uh, if he had hit me that hard because he didn't knock you out. I got to believe that if he had hit me that hard, he would have knocked me out. And Muhammad Ali said, if he had hit you that hard, your beneficiaries will still be collected. (laughs) (laughs) What a great line. He had a great sense of humor. And and he was very quick, not only on his feet in the ring, but... Quick on his feet in conversation, yes. too. Yeah, Ian a, Howard Cosell. And that represents a great intellect. Right. Great intellect. It does indeed. So you look back, and matter of fact, by coincidence, Jeffrey, it came up this morning that in that fight, uh, Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston, there was a punch thrown that he missed by about a foot, and Sonny <laughs> Liston still went down in a heap. I, there's film of it, as a matter of fact. Right. So... Has it always been fixed? I mean, we know because of Raging Bull that it's it's been tough for a long time. But was it always fixed, do you think? Well, well it, it began to get fixed uh, after a man named Arnold Rothstein fixed the oh, 1919 yeah. World Series. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he and his a bag man, a man named Abe Battelle, realized that it would be a lot easier to fix a sport where you had fewer players than nine. And, and, and boxing immediately came to mind. And Abe Rothstein began uh, fixing boxing matches. He, w- he was uh, murdered in 1928. Mm-hmm. And uh, a-, a couple of years after that, when Prohibition ended, a, uh, a bootlegger named Oni Madden sure. came on the scene. And-, and he took over boxing, and he bought the contract of a boxer named Primo Carnera oh, yeah. and-, and virtually fixed all of his fights right up to the time that Carnera won the heavyweight championship of the world. A- and then when... Um, uh, the uh, Manhattan District Attorney started putting a lot of pressure on organized criminals. Uh, Oni Madden thought maybe it's time to uh, to get out of this, and and they let uh, Primo Carnera be beaten by uh, a fighter named Max Baer, oh, who, sure. who, uh, who who beat him very badly, and 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 then Oni Madden and and his crew had stolen all of uh, Primo Carnera's money. They just oh. dropped him. Oh God! But. but uh, Max Baer, who was actually a, a very decent, very nice man, unlike the character he was portrayed as being in the movie Cinderella Man, right? Paid, he he paid all of um, Primo Carnera's medical expenses. Oh, wonderful! Uh, from that fight, and and Primo Carnera had three broken ribs, uh, a, a, a crack in in his uh, forearm, and 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 a, and a crack in his jaw, and and, uh, and and then after Max Baer paid all of his expenses. He got him a job as as a wrestler, uh, right? So that he could uh, remake his money. And and when Max Baer died, I think it was in 1950. Primo Carnera was in Italy and he couldn't come to the funeral. But he came a week later, 
and he had his driver drive him to the cemetery uh, in California where Max Fair is buried. And they got there late at night, and the cemetery was closed, and Primo Carnera and his driver climbed over the fence. They found uh, Max Spear's grave. Uh, Primo Carnera bent down, said a prayer, crossed himself, and then said to his uh, driver, he said, Max Spear was the best friend I ever had. Oh, see, now, that's a great story, Jeffrey. I love that story. And, of course— And, 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 and you wouldn't get that feeling— or, or, or that insight, it, just from watching a movie like Cinderella Man, where he's no. portrayed as, 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 as boorish and a bully. Well, but that's because he found out his son became Jethro Bodine on the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. <laughs> Probably upset him to no end. <laughs> but he did. That. People don't, I don't think people know that. Max Barry. No, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> I think it's phenomenal, actually. Hey, I don't know if I don't want to tussle with Jethro Bodine. I tell you, he's a big fella. But he, he is big, and I, I had a wonderful conversation with him when I was uh, writing my first boxing book about Max Baer. He told me that uh, he, he wanted to become a boxer, and his father said, no way, you're not becoming a boxer. Right. It's not for you. And, and, and uh, Max Baer Jr. said, well, could you at least teach me how to box? And he said, sure. And they went into the backyard of their home, and they put on these big, puffy boxing clubs. And Max Baer, Jr.'s, uh, Max Baer Sr. said to his son, you know, we'll hit each other, but we're not going to hit each other in the face, and we're going to be gentle with one another, but I'll show you how to jab, how to throw a right cross, how to throw an uppercut, etc. And and Max Bear Jr. got carried away uh, during this and wound up punching his father in the face. Oh. And all of a sudden, he saw his father's eyes completely change. And the next thing he knew, he was lying on his back on the ground looking up at the sky, and his mother was hanging out of his second-story bedroom window, and she was yelling at her husband, Why did you kill our son? Why did you kill our son? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what a great story that is. Isn't that wonderful? That is a wonderful story, honest to God. I, I, you know, Jeffrey, my, my life, I grew up in the inner city, so inner city kids in general are big boxing fans. And right. You know, one thing I, I loved about boxing and I still love about boxing, and it's kind of faded as a sport because of martial arts and all the rest of it, but what I loved about boxing was the the current immigrants were always the best boxers, whether it be Italians, Irish, uh, Spanish. I mean, you go down the uh, – there was a big uh, – a big uh, – kind of a flotilla of Jewish boxers that were just phenomenal boxers, and people don't know that. There were great Jewish boxers. Well, th from 1910 to 1941, there, there were, I, I, I did this in my uh, first book, which was about Jewish boxers. There, there were 624 Jewish boxers, and they were almost, uh, uh, I think there were 22 world champions yep. in the lighter weight classes. Yep, yeah. And, 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 and the first... Uh, man to hold uh, three uh, boxing titles simultaneously was a Jewish boxer named Barney Ross, who Barney was Ross. A, uh, uh, a, uh, a welterweight, a lightweight, and a super lightweight, and he held all those titles simultaneously. Jeffrey, the, the, one of the great things about, uh, I, I did a lot of, a lot of powerlifting, weightlifting in my day, so I got to know some boxers, and I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Ledoux's name, but he fought for the heavyweight championship of the world at one point. Scott Ledoux, a Minnesota boy. Scott's uh, hands were about the size of a catcher's mitt. My God, that man had big hands. And I, I, I ran across him one day. Scott was a very nice man. Unfortunately, unfortunately he's no longer alive, but died very young. But um, 
I saw him, and literally his hand was about six inches from my chest. And he said, hey, Tommy, how you doing? And tapped me in the chest. I thought I was going to die. I swear <laughs> to God. Man, did that hurt. I don't, and he didn't mean to hurt me. It was just like, hey, how you doing? Boom. Of course not. Like a guy that would just tap you. Those guys, the talent, I mean, the balance they have, the, the, just, the sweet science. I mean, it was the sweet science to me. Absolutely. My, my father grew up, one of his best friends growing up was a man named Abe Simon, who became a heavyweight boxer. And, 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 and he fought Joe Lewis uh, uh, twice uh, in 1941 and 1942 and, and lost both times. But in, in his first fight with Joe Lewis, he actually lasted 12 rounds, which was amazing. And they have a mold of his fist at the Boxing Hall of Fame up in Canastota, New York. And, and it was like this other boxer's fist that you described. It, 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 must, it, was, it was like a, a cinder block. It was it just was. amazing. Yeah, it was. I mean, I have big hands, and his hands were twice the size of mine. And the man could throw a punch, I'll tell you that. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Jeffrey, because I, I don't talk a lot about boxing these days. Because do you, do you run into a lot of people that are boxing fans in this day and age? Um, you know, since I wrote my books, I've met a lot of people who are, who are boxing fans. But prior to that, I, I did not know a lot of boxing fans. Oh, you didn't? No, oh. I didn't. Uh, um, I, I, I had been a boxing fan my whole life because when I was growing up, uh, my, well, my father had been an amateur boxer. Oh, okay. And when I was growing up, I, I was a short, skinny kid, and my father was worried that bigger kids would pick on me. So one day he came home and he brought me a pair of boxing clubs, a speed bag, a heavy bag, and a jump rope, and he set them up in our basement, and he taught me uh, boxing. And, and then after that, he was friends with a man named Lou Stillman, who owned a, a famous boxing gym in New York mm -hmm. called Stillman's Gym. Sure. And he, he got me, for $100, he got me 10 boxing lessons there. And, and, and that's all it took. I, I, I became a tremendous fan after that. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. You know, one, one of the reasons that I became such a fan of boxing uh, in my neighborhood, again, it's a pretty rough neighborhood. It was a lot of, you know, basically in my neighborhood, it, it was Catholics, black people, and Jews. And then they put the freeway around us so we couldn't get out. You know, it, was one of, it was one of those neighborhoods, you know? Right. So there would be a lot of boxers back in those days. And what I always noticed, even as a little boy, the boxers would go around. There were a couple of kids. Now there would be people considered to be autistic or special needs, you know, people. Well, right. they weren't called that back in the day. It was not a very complimentary name, so I won't use it. But there were two or three of them in the neighborhood, the special needs children, or, or and even adult. One guy, adult, name was Jerry. And the boxers went around to everybody and said, you can do whatever you want, but if any of you bother those three guys, I will beat you to death. <laughs> to God. Good for them. And it was wonderful, Jeffrey. They protected the neighborhood. They protected those three guys from the neighborhood. It was fantastic. Well, yeah, you know, one of the things about boxers that a lot of people don't realize is how much they like each other. They do, yeah. And, and um, Max Bear Jr. told me that his father had absolute respect for everyone who ever got in the ring with him because he felt it took a certain amount of courage to do that, and anyone who did that, he immediately had respect for. Mm -hmm. and, and when he died... All of his pallbearers were former uh, heavyweight boxers who, who, who adored him. How great is that? We used to, yeah. and I don't think, 
well, I'm pretty sure they don't exist anymore, but in, in your neighborhood, I'm sure, in my neighborhood, there were two or three different places you could go and get in a ring and box. There was a Phyllis Wheatley house. There was Union House. Yeah. There was all these different, sure. you know, I don't even think they exist anymore, do they? No, there, there, there are some boxing gyms uh, in, in New York that, that have become very popular. Uh, uh, probably the most popular one is, is, is called Gleason's Gym. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's run by a man named Bruce Silverglade, who, who loves boxing and has been involved with boxing his, his whole life. But a, a lot of uh, uh, gyms now are teaching boxing as, as an exercise, as, as, as a workout rather than something to get in the ring into, right, right. which is interesting. So you see a lot of women now uh, 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 taking up boxing for that reason. Jeffrey, I've seen a couple of women. There was one just, uh, she I don't know if she, she was suspended or what happened. Something went on. But I saw some video of her. I would not want mm -hmm. to fight her. <laughs> we'll tell you that. No now, there way. are some pretty tough women boxers out there. Oh, man, it's unbelievable. How, how wonderful it is. You know, it's really nice to talk to somebody who has enthusiasm about boxing because it's, it's not that easy. I, um, you know, I was born in the 50s, so, so it was a very, very big deal for me. And, you know, the upside of it, the boxers protecting people, the downside of it when you find out that Joe Lewis ended up being a doorman in Vegas, and it just made me really sad to hear that. Um, a lot of money was stolen from people in that profession. There's no doubt about it. Jeffrey, do you, do you have a few more minutes or do you have to go? No, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. Oh, good, because I need to take a very, very short break. But And I don't want to keep you all day, but, man, i got a million things I want to talk to you about. Because Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, the book is called Boxing in the Mob, the Notorious History of the Sweet Science. Jeffrey Sussman will talk about that right after this with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. Thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. And now here's because what happened was Jeffrey Sussman came on, Boxing in the Mob, the notorious history of sweet science. I got so excited that I did nothing but ramble for 15 minutes. So I would like Jeffrey <laughs> to talk about his book, Boxing in the Mob, the notorious history of the sweet science. Uh, how long did it take you to write the book, Jeffrey? It, it took me uh, about um, six months to do the research and about six months to do the actual writing. Oh, that's a good writer. You're a good writer if you can do that. Not a lot of people Thank are that you. talented, Jeffrey. Hey, seriously, some people take some five years to write a book. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, I actually, I try, I try to do a book a year. Wonderful. Um, and, 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 and so for the last uh, three years, I've done uh, three different boxing books. That's terrific. I mean, I just think it's wonderful. Um, are you rolling the dice with uh, boxing and the mob? Because, uh, you know, you're living in New York. They might not be too happy with you about this, are they? <laughs> Well, everyone mentioned in, 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 in the book, as far as I can tell, is dead. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Which was certainly a consideration when I was writing the book. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah there was a, there's a restaurant in Chicago, and they, and they were talking about writing a book, and they were one of the bartenders was going to write a book, and they were going to tell all the stories about so and so with so and so and so and so so and so, and they were going to change all the names, but the stories were going to be there, and everybody have a good good time with that. And and there were a few uh, mafioso, many mafioso that would uh, hang out there, and uh, they they talked about this book. They started putting it together, putting some of the notes together, and that. And uh, the owner of the restaurant calls uh, the, the, the sort of the head bartender up to the to the office, and there's another guy sitting in in in, in the in the room, in this office, and they close the door, and the, and the guy says, well, "We're gonna we're we're gonna say we're writing a book," and I said, "Yeah, we're gonna write the book about all the things that have gone on here, and and one thing and another, and we're gonna just change all the names so no, everybody's protected, but everything like that." And the and the and the guy that's sitting next to the owner of the restaurant says, "There'll be no book." He said, "No, we're gonna change all the names." And he said, "You don't understand." There'll be no book. <laughs> so, so you writing this kind of book, you know, you didn't, you didn't run, any, you didn't have any meetings where they said, "Oh, there'll be no book." God, Jeffrey, I'm looking at this in Boxing in the Mob, the notorious history of the sweet science. Jeffrey Sussman tells the story of the coercive and criminal. I like the word coercive. When it comes to the mob <laughs> and criminal underside of boxing covering nearly the entire 20th century. He profiles some of its most infamous characters. You don't say notorious, you say infamous, which I really like. Good. <laughs> a lot of people do not understand that if you're notorious, that's not a good thing. <laughs> that, 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 that's right. A lot of people uh, um, use the word notoriety to mean a, a publicized. And, right. And, 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 if, and if you're notorious, you've gotten notoriety, and that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's not good. <laughs> well, you, you, you talk about Oni Madden. You've already talked about him, Frankie Carbo, Frank Palermo. You, you you talk about Primo Carnera, Sugar Ray Robinson, Max Bear. I mean, every you got everybody in this book. I I, I tried to cover all bases. That's for sure. I, I mean, Frankie Carbo was probably one of the most vicious of, of of the people involved in boxing. Before he got involved in boxing, he he, he was a killer for Murder Incorporated, <laughs> and had uh, allegedly killed nineteen people, and he has also been credited with the murder of a. Uh, of the famous gangster Bugsy Siegel in, in uh, Los sure. Angeles in 1947, and <clears throat> but when um, it, it, between uh, Oni Madden and and Frank Car Frankie Carbo, there was a man named uh, Mike Jacobs who controlled uh, uh, much of boxing in New York and was Joe Lewis's manager, and 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 pretty much owned Joe Lewis, and and he he was not really a, a mobster, but he came very very close. 
to being one. He walked a very narrow line, a fine line, rather. And he had a couple of strokes which put him out of business, and Frankie Carbo immediately came in and took over, and he formed a partnership with a man named Blinky Palermo, who was the numbers king of Philadelphia, and they formed a partnership with a man named Jim Norris, who came from a very, very wealthy Chicago family. At that time, his family owned the Chicago Merchandise Mart, sure. and they owned a lot of uh, sports teams uh, in the Midwest. And, but he loved boxing, and he also loved hanging around mobsters. And uh, he, he got to control Madison Square Garden. And between uh, Jim Norris, uh, Frankie Carvo, and Blinky Palermo, they controlled virtually every middleweight and welterweight fighter that, that boxed in uh, Madison Square Garden. And, and if you wanted to box in Madison Square Garden, uh, beginning in the late 40s up through the early 1960s, you had to go through these people. And, and you had to either give them a, a portion of your contract or, or, or you had to sign over your contract to them. And, 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 and they would fix fights. It, w- it was Frankie Carbo who uh, wouldn't let uh, Jake LaMotta have a shot at the middleweight title until he agreed to take a dive against a fighter named Billy Fox. And uh, initially, LaMotta refused to do this. He didn't want to uh, cooperate with the mob. But it was his only opportunity to get a shot at the middleweight title. And uh, Frankie Carbo paid him $100,000 to take a dive against uh, Fox. And supposedly, uh, Jake LaMotta, not being an idiot, bet his $100,000 on Billy Fox to win. And, 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 and it was very obvious to everyone uh, who saw the fight that, that, uh, that, that Jake LaMotta was not putting up any defense. He was right. just standing there with his arms oh, up around his, his, his head. And, and, and people in the stands were yelling, fake, fake, it's a fixed oh. fight, it's a fixed fight. And he, I think he had to have five or six additional fights before um, uh, Carbo finally gave him a, a, a shot at the heavyweight title. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the middleweight title. Right. And he beat a, a French fighter named Marcel Serdan uh, and, 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 and became the middleweight boxing champion. We're, we're... But, but, but Frankie Carbo really overdid it, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and that's what ultimately got him in trouble. Um, t- to begin, he, he <clears throat> and uh, Jim Norris controlled the uh, <clears throat> Friday night fights and the Wednesday night fights, which came from New York. And a, and a famous uh, boxing trainer named Ray Arcel started broadcasting boxing matches from Boston, from the Boston Arena. And <clears throat> Arcel and his minions threatened him that he had to stop, and, and he wouldn't. And so uh, Carbo sent a, a, a thug up to Boston with a pipe wrapped in, in newspaper and hit Ray Arcel <clears throat> over the head and fractured his skull. And, and Ray Arcel was in the hospital, I think, for about four weeks. And he was told that if he ever went back into boxing, uh, they would kill him. Uh, what was interesting, it, I think it was about 14 years, 14 or 15 years later, that uh, Roberto Duran's manager uh, went, went to Ray Arcel and, and said, uh, my boy cannot become a champion unless he has a good trainer like you. Would you be willing to train him? And Arcel explained that he couldn't go back to boxing. But this guy kept after him, and, and, and Ray Arcel finally agreed, but he, he, he said he would not take any money for, for, oh. for the training. And, and, and he went to the mob and, 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 and told them this. And, and they said, well, as long as you're not taking any money, you, you can train him. 
and, and, and he trained Durant to, to become a champion. But then um, uh, Carbo wanted to take over a boxer in Los Angeles uh, named Don Jordan, who everyone thought was going to become a champ. And his manager was a fellow named Jack, Jackie Leonard. And Carbo kept threatening him to, to sign over Don Jordan's contract, and Jackie Leonard refused to do it. And, and so they sent some people who beat, beat up uh, 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 Jackie Leonard, and he went to the uh, cops in Los Angeles, and they wouldn't do anything. So uh, he went to the FBI, and the FBI wired him, and, and he got Carbo threatening to kill him on, wire, on, on, on his wire and, and, and also threat, threats from uh, uh, Blinky Palermo. And uh, Robert Kennedy was the attorney general at that time, and he sure. wound up prosecuting uh, uh, Carbo and Palermo and Norris and a man named Truman Gibson. Who was the lawyer for the group? And uh, Carbo got 25 years in prison, and uh, Palermo got 15 years. And Norris walked away with, I think it was just probation because he was very, very wealthy and had uh, terrific political uh, connections. Uh, so he didn't have to serve any time in prison. But, but even while he was in prison, uh, Carbo owned pieces of fighters. And, and in particular, he, he owned a piece of Sonny Liston along with gangsters in St. Louis and, 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 and Las Vegas. And supposedly, from all the evidence I could find, they were the ones who had um, uh, Liston take a dive in his fight with Muhammad Ali in right. Liston, Maine, re, you know, regarding that famous phantom punch. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people uh, have, have seen the photograph of, of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston, but a lot of people don't know that what he was saying to Sonny Liston was he was yelling at him and he was saying, sucker, sucker, you better get up. You better get up. No one's going to believe I hit you. Oh, man. I have never heard that, Jeffrey. I know. A lot of people haven't. And then when he went back to his corner, uh, Muhammad Ali said to his cornerman, he said, did I hit him? I don't think I hit him. <laughs> so, so, you know, Muhammad Ali never fixed a fight in his life, no. but, but if someone was going to take a dive against him, he didn't know about it, but, but it was apparent to him that, that uh, Sonny Liston went down with, with, with like a fly swatter of a punch, and um, Sonny Liston's wife, uh, Geraldine, told the FBI afterwards that I told Sonny to go down in the first round. I said to him, look, if you're going to lose, why bother going through all the rounds and getting hit? Just lay down in the first round. And, and 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 that's what he did. And 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 the the FBI also believes that that, that fight was fixed. Oh, I, I mean, you look at the he misses him by a foot with that punch. I know. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, one thing I do want to mention, and one thing I love, and it does. Jeffrey talking to you brings me back to my childhood, man. Yeah, <laughs> mine really, too. Okay. Mine too. It's really wonderful. Uh, Frankie Carbo. For people to, it, if they show a picture of a mobster and it's not Al Capone, it's Frankie Carbo. <laughs> That's the guy you That's always right. see. He, he bears a striking resemblance. He does, doesn't he? I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. But my favorite thing about this, and it, you know, I, I like I said, it brings me back to being a little kid and our little, you know, running around with everybody had a nickname, right? Everybody in the neighborhood had a nickname. <laughs> Frankie Carbo's nickname was Jimmy the Wop. <laughs> How great is that? Okay, well. Oh, I like Blinky. Blinky, that's a... Blinky, yeah. <laughs> I 
<laughs> it's just phenomenal. Jimmy. Hey, you seen Jimmy the Wild? No, no, I haven't seen him. No. <laughs> See, Jeffrey, that's the lovely side of boxing, I guess. And I suppose a lot of people wouldn't be lovely unless you, you know, you grew up, uh, you know, in the city or whatever. But, but I just loved it. And talking to you, I could seriously, Jeffrey, I could talk to you for hours and hours because the stories would never end. It, it was a part of our well, lives. Well, you know, you know, Another example of, of, of what a nice guy some of the boxers were. Yeah. Uh, my, my second boxing book was about uh, uh, Rocky Graziano. Oh, I love him. And, and uh, he used to go to um, Stillman's gym after he retired from boxing to, to watch the up-and-coming boxers. And he saw an old boxer sitting off in a corner who had gone blind oh. and was living in a, uh, uh, a, a transient hotel downtown someplace. And Rocky went around to everyone at the gym and, and got money from them for this guy and gave some of his own money and went up to the guy and put it in his breast pocket. And he said, this is for you, and I want you to come back every month because you're going to get the same thing. Oh, see, that's, again, Jeffrey, that's kind of a neighborhood thing as well, though. Right. Uh, it, there was a lot of that back in the day. Maybe not now, maybe not any, any longer, but it was back in the day. And, and one thing, we only have about another minute and a half left, but I got to tell you, one of my great things in life is I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and all the rest of it, but I have a sister who's two years older than me. And she was about, she's about five feet tall. She never got over <laughs> five feet tall. If anybody in the neighborhood bothered me, she'd beat the hell out of them. It was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, that's what having good brothers and sisters are about. That's exactly right. I love your passion for this, Jeffrey. And you, great books. Thank that, you. That you write, and you just talking to you about it. You have a great affection for the people, for the sport. Uh, you loved boxing yourself. It sounds like I, I will tell you, my boxing career lasted about three weeks because I did find <laughs> out that if you're big and strong and hit somebody, you'll probably knock them down. But if they're not big and strong, they're going to hit you about 15 times before you hit them. <laughs> and that didn't work for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, man. It was a smart decision on your part. It was indeed. I did not have the speed to be a great boxer. Some of those guys, man, they have fast hands, hands of stone. Especially the middleweights and the welterweights oh, yeah. were really quick. Yeah, they were, and it's to this day I still love watching. I, I don't really know anybody anymore because I think after after a while it was just kind of sad. Mike Tyson, I've had I've talked to Mike Tyson a couple of times, and he's in a he's an interesting guy. Let me put it that yeah. way. Yeah, he is. He is an interesting human being. Jeffrey, you are a terrific guest. The book's called Thank Boxing and the Mob: The Notorious History of the Sweet Science. We got to have you back on again, and I'll just I'll just ramble on and on and listen to everything you have to say because it's like I said, this is right in my wheelhouse, Jeffrey. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jeffrey Sussman, ladies and gentlemen. S U S S M A N. The book is available everywhere. Boxing and the Mob: The Notorious History of the Sweet Science, and we'll be back. A very special guest up next up. with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. 
We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislandall.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I. Uh, we have a guest on the phone with us. I don't. I don't know the guy, but I think somebody in the in the room knows him. Like, I don't really know how to pronounce this name. B a s h i o u m. I don't know how you say that. But Heir apparent. Bashum. Bashum. <laughs> Ralphie. My uh, best. My wrestling name would be Smash'em Basham. Ooh, I'll smash him Basham. I like it. Smash him Basham. Not Blinky Basham. <laughs> yeah, Blinky. I like that. That works for me. Josh, how you doing? Doing well. Yeah, doing real well. Can I get a little more volume, Andy? California. Andy. Yeah. Can I just get a, a little more volume? Mm-hmm. There we go. Thanks. Um, what are you working shoulder to shoulder now with Mark Cuban? Is that the plan? That's right. That's right. I'm a shoe-in to help promote, right? I'm, a, I'm like Don King. You're like the Don King of Basham country. <laughs> Axis TV. Yeah, because Mark Cuban owns Axis, doesn't he? Wow. He does, yeah. yeah, yeah I remember so. watching that uh, Axis back when it first, I mean, it was one of the first HG or HD channels mm-hmm. that, that came out back in the day. I remember watching concerts and all sorts of cool things on there and oh, boxing. Yeah. yeah, he still does do a lot of rock rock and roll stuff, <laughs> uh it's really it really is nice. Access TV hit series Wow Women of Wrestling season two premiere at September seventh at eight p.m. Eastern time, seven Central time. You attended Wow Women of Wrestling press day. Is that really you at the press day? Went went to press day and got to to watch them film the entire day, including um, uh, a couple of those championship fights. It was. I, to be honest with you, it, it actually was a lot of fun. I didn't know what to expect. I've never been to a live wrestling event like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's much easier on the eyes to watch these girls than, than a bunch of guys. Sure, uh, sure. And it was it was believe it or not, I we actually really really enjoyed it. Um, I I went there by myself, and coincidentally, there was a friend of mine in line just for the general admission tickets. And he is a huge, huge fan. He used to play football at SC. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually said that I could bring him in. And, and they actually placed us right right on the side of the ring, right next to the ropes. Love it. We, were, we, 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 we had a great time. I got to tell you, Josh, back in the day when I first, uh, first started dating Catherine, 
<clears throat> she was a University of Minnesota student, a journalism student, and she was assigned um, a paper on uh, Vern Gagne's uh, AWA, the American Wrestling Association. So I went to a wrestling match with Catherine over at the St. Paul Auditorium back in the day. Saturday night at the St. Paul Auditorium. <laughs> it's going to be unbelievable. We're sitting there, and this guy comes up. I can't even remember who the wrestlers were, but one guy comes up to the other one and just smokes him right in the face. You know, and by the way, I should point out, cause I used to lift a lot of weights with wrestlers and, uh, Hawk, one of the road warriors showed me how to do, I can't do it, but he showed me how he could do it. He wound up and punched me right in the face. The slap of his hand hitting my face was very loud, but it did not hurt at all. I mean, these guys oh, know wow. how to pull a punch like there's no tomorrow. It's amazing what they can do. Right. Did anybody ever do that to you, it Josh? Is. No, luckily not. You should have them do it because it doesn't hurt at all. It looks like you died, well, but it doesn't hurt at all. It, and, and that's what was really amazing, you know, being being right up next to the, the, the ring on the ropes. You know, we got to really hear and see see this, you know, and I and I went into it sort of seeing it, just watching it on TV here and there. Yeah, yep. But actually seeing these girls. And the, sort of the, the acrobatics, the, the physical stamina they actually need to do oh, this. Yeah. And there were a couple times where, where there were two girls at least they, they started bleeding when they were kind of out of the ring and throwing stuff around. And you could tell that it was not planned. Oh right, um, right. So they they're really putting themselves out there, and it's it's actually you know really really impressive. No, it is. Um, at that wrestling match, by the way, and then I'm going to get the hell out of the way, and your father's going to take over this interview because he always tells you what to do anyway. But um, so we're at the wrestling match. This guy comes out and just smokes another guy right in the face, and the guy goes down, and, oh, the crowd's going wild. And all right. As the crowd calms down, there was a woman in front of us at the time. She was probably about 60. She's with a guy who's like about 70, something like that. And she turns to him right in front of us, row in front of us, says to him, reminds me of the first time you hit me. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. I will never forget that as long as I live. Oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, boy, Catherine, I'd love to stay here with you at the wrestling match. Good God. We're going to talk about this later. God. Exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen, for a, a first time ever, I believe Ralph Basham interviewing Josh Basham. Yeah, well, you know, Josh, you, know, you, you saw you saw the spectacle, and even though even though uh, the matches might be the results might be prearranged, it is really an incredible show. The physical ability oh, God, of these is. people, it absolutely, and is. to and to and there's a real risk in the acrobatics that they do. They you know they know what to do. They know how to take the take uh, the punches. They know how to fall and all that sort of stuff. But man, you can get hurt. I just remember yep. as a kid, I was watching. I was watching a match, and they they they're doing it. Everything is all set up, and the guy can't get up up out of the one corner because he broke his leg, oh, broke Joe. his femur. You know, he come down wrong. Oh, Boom! No. It cracks. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> the bone is coming out. Oh, no. Oh, God. It is amazing how big those well, guys you, are. Yeah. One of the girls, actually, in the press conference, she was not, um, she was in a neck brace because she had actually 
had a had a minor break in her neck that wasn't addressed. I mean, she went home. She went from went home from a fight, and she told the story uh, that um, well, she felt fine, and then all of a sudden she had a little bit of tingling and whatnot, and she went to went to urgent care, or, and um, yeah, found out that she had broke her neck. So she was she was supposed to fight that day, and um, she unfortunately was not able to. So it's I mean, seeing some of the height that these that really any of these wrestlers get on the top rope when they jump off of there. I mean, that, I, that's terrifying. And there's, I don't know. I don't know, Andy, if you're able to pull up a picture or anything, but there, there, there was a wrestler there called the beast. The and, beast. A lot of women like to be called <laughs> the beast, don't they? Yeah. Josh is between you and now, me. I, I called mommy, uh, I called mommy or Lindsay. I called her the beast once. I, well, that, one I called just one, just one time. One yeah, you time do that only. once and that's it. So, uh, well, that, that, tur- that word's out of the lexicon. We're yeah. done with that one. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to be able to take pictures with people named the lioness and Samantha Smart, right? The the beast was not at the press conference. Was not able to take pictures with her. Now, when she came out, we heard her music. And mind you, Eric is probably six foot four, and a big guy. When he saw the beast walking towards him, he looked at me with terror in his eyes. And it was she. She is very impressive. She is. Uh, <clears throat> about as ripped as I've seen a guy and uh, she went into the ring and she was un- unbelievable. She was a lot of fun to watch. Wow. So Eric is the, your buddy from USC that uh, you're uh, at uh, ringside with. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did, did, did you get anything sprayed on you? Cause when you go to the boxing matches, you know, when you, when they, when they take a punch, you know, the stuff sprays all oh, over. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. if you're, did you get anything on you? <laughs> it was not like a gal. It was what? not like a Gallagher bit. No, it was not like Gallagher. We 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 were okay. We did not get anything on us at that time. Unbelievable! When are you but coming to town is, uh, again, pal? Towards the end of this month. Yeah, I'll be back oh, again this month. We have to have dinner, man. We'll yeah. have to sit around and talk about Absolutely. wrestlers. I tell you, I spent a lot of time with professional wrestlers in my life, and. I, the 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 great spectacle and the show they put on the grandiosity of it all it's so damn cool to be around and and, and so much of that's bled into other sports now oh yeah oh, it's bled yes, into other sports so yep. football basketball yep. you have that and then they, this ongoing kind of feud off the court or off the off the uh, field you know the, the this is going on all the time they're building this, this hatred or this this uh, uh, act or this this environment that uh, people just love to see i mean Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful part of the entertainment of sports it is indeed and it's quite it's quite the production i mean they they carry through the storylines through their social media you know started following some of these some of these girls on on instagram and twitter and it's it's pretty impressive they 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 weave the story through their through the personas and um and it's kind of fun to see it play out it'll play out this season so and, and did uh, did anybody uh, like chew on the microphone? Get so angry that uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I remember go. when I was a kid, the one I think Bruno San Martino. He just he got so worked Loved up over him. one thing. He started he showed he started, he started, he started, he started, he started biting and chewing on the microphone. Absolutely loved him. Well, they love yeah, uh, and and Jesse Ventura, the the famed Jesse Ventura, wasn't Ooh. he a wrestler? Ooh. 
Who? <laughs> he was indeed. Let me just tell you something, just... Josh Basham. <laughs> if you didn't bring up my name again, I'm calling my attorney, F. Lee Bailey, and he's going to get a hold of you. Remember those guys? They all had F. Lee Bailey as their attorney. <laughs> I don't think F. Lee Bailey ever even heard of it. <laughs> That's right. F. Lee Bailey or William Kunstler. We, we, Josh, did you as a young young guy, because my friends, I mean, the dog, uh, we, all my buddies, we'd get together, and before we go to the bars, now we're in our 20s, right? Uh, before we go to the bar, and I didn't even drink back then, but uh, before we go to the bar, we'd watch uh, Saturday Night Wrestling, which was on at, I think, 6 to 7 on uh, Channel 11 back in those days, and it was on Channel 9 later. But we loved the, the, the grandiosity, the spectacle, all the, you know, the, the violence, even though most of it is fake. We just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is and you know what i to, to actually watch it live and they, you know they're, they're they're still taping they're gonna be taping some of the final final episodes uh-huh. i mean I, I would definitely suggest people try to try to get some tickets and i think the majority of them are are, are, are free i mean it, it really is fun to watch live just because there's, there's so much going on a lot of the music and the lights the production value was was fantastic so i mean it's it's it really is great entertainment. I actually went into it skeptical. I mean, I, I never really mm-hmm. was a big, big wrestling guy, but I, I, I think I've actually been converted by being able to to watch this. So I'm definitely going to tune in for it and and see kind of how it how it came across on TV. Do, uh, do, do any body slams? They do the body slams. They do body the body slam. They throw oh, in, plenty of those and throw people into the turnbuckle. Well, the, the the most popular thing that I noticed in in, in this was, it, you know, the referee would look away or he would be yelling at someone in the corner. <laughs> of course, of course, would of course, course he would. <laughs> of course he would be. And the audience would go crazy yelling at the ref. I mean, that was... I love it. I noticed that was sort of the, the popular move. And it was, you know, Eric and I really, really got into it yelling at the ref. And it was... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it was great. I absolutely loved the whole damn thing. As I said, just the whole culture is just a whole. And we didn't go over to the to St. Paul uh, to watch a lot of it. I only went a couple of times to watch it live. Watching it on TV was so great because the interviews yeah. were every bit as important <laughs> as the wrestling matches themselves. That's, that's right. One of my favorites of all time, Josh, The Crusher. Who is just a phenomenal wrestler? He comes out and Marty O'Neill. Well, we've got him with us, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is, the Crusher. Crusher, how did that last match go for you? And the Crusher goes, "I lost a gallon of blood. I got a thousand <laughs> stitches in my head. I mean, it couldn't be. I, I lost a lot of blood and I got ten stitches in my head. Had to be a thousand stitches. It had to be a gallon of blood. What do you got in your body, Andy? Five quarts of blood." Yeah, a gallon. So he lost 80% of his blood in his body. <laughs> it's the greatest. Oh, yeah. They used to, carry, they used to have little razor blades that cut their forehead. So, and you just oh, nick yeah. somebody's forehead. And there's a yeah. mess like you can't imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. God, oh. that must have been so much fun for you, Josh. It must have been terrific. It was. It really was. It was a blast. All right. Absolute get to blast. town, and you guys pill. have to look up the you got to get up. I'll to be town. there too, and I'm looking to seeing you guys. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have a little dinner when you get here. I hope. Yeah. yeah All right, you pill. Good. It was nice to call in. Thank you. 
All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Josh Basham, ladies and gentlemen. W-O-W, the Women of Wrestling, September 7th. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was it was part of the upbringing. It just was. It was part of the whole deal. We just loved watching and the wrestling. Don't deny the fact that it is a great show. It is a great and show. And those guys and women are phenomenal athletes. People don't oh, realize yeah. what oh, good athletes are. those are. people are. And, and, and to get through the training to do that, a lot of people wash out. They do. A lot of them wash out. It's true. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.